Good morning, everyone. Let me be the first to say it. Uh, Merry Christmas. I got to tell you, Christmas is always my favorite time of the year. As you can tell, I'm wearing my red Christmas shirt today. I was so excited to be here and celebrate Christmas and sing some Christmas carols that I was speeding on the freeway to get here. And I almost forgot that there's always a cop on the, on the 118 just cat, trying to catch all us speeders. So I did slow down and I didn't get caught. That was a good gift from God. I'm grateful for that. But uh, yeah, God's mercy was shown to me this morning. But uh, we are doing a series entitled uh, The Gift. This is our series for the the month of December, and uh, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we got some great plans throughout the month for for our worship time on Sunday morning. want to say thank you to everyone for bringing toys for the toy drive. Uh, That's always a big thing we do every year, and many people uh, bring those gifts. And and like I said before, I've I've told the congregation before, those gifts go to a good cause. We do give them away down at uh, L.A. County USC uh, Women and Children's Hospital. And uh, they do a big, uh, we do a big party down there for the kids. And then we're able to give them the toys at the end of the party. And it's really a great time for them. They're always very, very encouraged. Uh, so thank you for bringing those. And it, it's a really great thing. Also want to say thank you for bringing shoes. Uh, the young lady that I told you about who was doing the shoe drive is here with us today. Precious, if you could stand up, we just want to make you embarrassed for a minute. <laughs> I met her mom, Keisha, this morning, and Precious is one of seven kids. So she assured me the shoes aren't for her family, that they are going to a worthy cause to those kids out there or people out there in need. So thank you for bringing the shoes. And we are going to do it next Sunday, the shoe drive anyway. So if you forgot and there's a pair of shoes that's just been bugging you all this time, you get another chance to get rid of them uh, next Sunday. So uh, it is the Christmas season, and our theme is the gift, and uh, so I thought it'd be fun to start off with some audience participation, okay? And so I'm going to talk here a little bit to give you a chance to think of what you want to say, but what I'm going to ask you is, uh, I want you to share, uh, what was your favorite gift? You know, it it could have been when you were a kid, when you were older, if you're still a kid, it could have been last year, I don't care, but the point is, is what was your favorite gift, or if you could think of one during the, you know, that you got in your life, I'm going to start to keep giving you a chance to think, and we'll pick a few of you out of the crowd, but my favorite gift, one of them that I remember was the Atari 2600, I think I've shared this story before. But I remember wanting that so badly, the Atari 2600. For those of you under 40, that was the beginning of the gaming console. You know, the video games. Some of you are like, what was that? It was basically Pong, right? That's about all it did was Pong and I think a game called Warlords. It was about the only two games I ever played on it. But I really wanted it. And I remember opening all my presents and I didn't get it on Christmas morning. Because my parents thought it would be funny to make me wait till Christmas night before I got the gift, which wasn't funny to me. But I did eventually get the gift that night, and it was a great time. I had a great fun playing it. So I'm going to hear from you. Nick, you tell me one of your favorite gifts you got, uh, Rita. Okay. So, Whatever you want to do. Okay. Okay, I'm kidding. All right. So, I've been praying to get engaged. I'm going to bring the mic for you. Go ahead. Okay. I've been praying to get engaged, and so I was praying to God that for Christmas, Phil would give me a rock, and all you ladies know what that means, right? Like an engagement ring, 
And <laughs> basically that's what it was. It was, so Phil ended up giving me, God has such a funny sense of humor. He gave me this gorgeous Swarovski crystal rose, which was very beautiful, but I was really sad that we weren't getting engaged. But you know, we've been married 18 years and it was perfect. He didn't know that I was praying for that. So it just kind of worked out. All right, someone else, Ivan. I feel like Phil Donahue here. All right, so it's weird. Just talk. All right, so um, it just feels really weird, doesn't it? Uh, talking, not me. Okay, so uh, I think uh, one of my favorite Christmases is um, when I was growing up. We really didn't have a lot at all. We had almost next to nothing, and um, there was one Christmas that my parents were so poor, they basically said we weren't getting anything for Christmas. Nothing. So so. We went, uh, we went to, uh, uh, out to eat at a local little burger place uh, by our house to eat. And when we came home that night, underneath the Christmas tree were all these presents. Wow. And we're like, we don't know, what, what is all this? And so the next morning we opened them up, and we didn't even know it. They were just incredible. And in this, in this group of presents was this football game. Now, I wasn't as high-tech as Joe, uh, we, it was just this, this, this board that was metal and it was electronic and you would line all these football players up on it and you would turn it on and they would vibrate and they would move towards each other. There was really no objective to the game at all, but that was our video games growing up, right? So it was a little different. And it turns out that one of my mom's close friends went through all of her kids' toys, wrapped them up and gave them to us. Uh, for a gift, and we, w- we wouldn't have had anything otherwise. So I think that was one of the greatest gifts, and I've, I always look back at that Christmas as like wow. my favorite Christmas. Amen. One more. Uh, Stacy, I'll come over to you. I really do feel it. What was that show, Phil Don- Donahue or whatever? <laughs> Run around with the microphone. You're giving me the microphone. Well, let's see. My favorite gift was is my husband. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. One more. I thought there was a story with that. We'll close out with my wife. Okay. Uh, my favorite gift, I was probably five, and my favorite gift was Snoopy's Flying Doghouse. <laughs> and it was, it was actually, a, there was like a, a, a wire, and the doghouse was at the end. It was literally just, it would fly in a big circle. You know, there was a, a, something that would stay, you know, hold it in the, in the center, and it would fly around and fly around and fly around, and then it would fly backwards. You could do forward and backward. And it was really fun because I'm one of six kids, I'm in the middle, but that year everyone wanted to play with that. So we were, we were literally like play jump rope over it, we, play, we chase it around, and it just became the center of the whole family playing together. So it was a memory of all my brothers and sisters. So, oh, I got, well, I have to do one more. All right, one more. We're running out of time, but I'll just, this, is, this is one for the teens, this is a lesson, okay. So, so one, one morning, my brother's five years older, and, uh, we saw matching presents underneath the tree. And they were the same size, and we wanted a train set so bad, and we, we thought it was. So what we did is two days before my parents went out shopping, we got my dad's razor knife from the garage, <laughs> and we sliced the tape, and we opened up one, and we saw that it was a train set. And we're like, oh man, that is so cool. Come Christmas morning, we opened up our presents, and we're like, this really stinks. You know, we ruined Christmas, because that was the only, like, not the only, we got other gifts. We always get clothes and socks from grandma with sad stripes, but <laughs> I ruined Christmas morning. Christmas morning was always about the surprise and the anticipation of it. And from that point on, I never opened another present. Oh, that's good. All right. Well, there you go. There's a moral to that story. 
All right. So, you know, the fun thing about Christmas is, is, you know, and let's face it, it's getting gifts. I mean, it's one of the best things about Christmas is just being given some gifts. And, and who hates a, you know, who, who, who hates a gift, right? I mean, they're awesome. Our, our specific title for today is the gift of the Magi. Let's say a prayer to God, and then we'll turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together, and we just thank you for Christmas and the great time of year it is and the opportunity to be able to, to get gifts, and we're so thankful for the gifts that we're given, and uh, Father, we're thankful, that, we're thankful that the Magi gave some gifts, and, and what they gave is going to be meaningful to us as we look at your word today. Please be with us as we examine uh, the story of the Magi. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn over to Matthew chapter 2, and, and I do have the words on the screen, and I know I blocked the screen, so I try to move around from time to time so you can see the words, but it says here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? Now the Magi, also known as the wise men, first appear in history around the 7th century B.C. Now, it wasn't uh, uh, three magi like we, custom, like we traditionally think. We don't know how many magi actually came to visit Jesus. We think three because there were three gifts, but there could have been more. Uh, or, or there could have been two. You know, couldn't have been one because magi is plural. So there was at least two. Who knows how many came? But this, this class of people, this, this category of people known as the magi, first appear in history around the 7th century B.C., some, what, six, seven hundred years before Jesus Christ was born. They, they specialized in astrology and astronomy. They specialized in interpreting dreams. And they specialized in magic. They were a specific group of people who were like learners. They went around and they just absorbed knowledge. And they became known as wise men because of their intent desire to learn. And they just wanted to learn everything about any, you know, anything they could, be it uh, the natural world, religion, the, the, uh, you know, so, you know, whatever there was. They were the kind of people that wanted to learn things. In a lot of ways, the, the, the Magi are really the, the prototype of sociologists, psychologists, and even scientists. There were some famous people in the Bible, Bible characters who were associated with, might even have been, Magi. Even though the Magi didn't originate in the, the, the nation of Israel or the, the Jewish people, they, they came really from Babylon in that part of the world long time before Jesus, like I said, 7th century B.C., there were some Jewish people who became associated and even might even have been called Magi. People like Daniel. We studied the book of Daniel earlier this year. Daniel was associated with the Magi. So was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends. And it's most, like, it's most probable that from Daniel and his three friends, the Magi learned about the Jewish culture, the Jewish faith, the Jewish belief systems, and many of the Jewish prophecies. Now, by the time we get to Jesus' birth, the, the, the first century, uh, the Magi were, were really considered a priestly cla class of people. They were highly educated. They had lots of wisdom. They, they were looked at as wise men. But they lived in the, the, mainly in the Parth east of the land of Israel uh, in the Parthian Empire. And one of their responsibilities was to elect the king. They were sort of the, the council who would elect a king. And so in a very real way, they were also king makers. Now, in spite of their distance from Israel, and in spite of all the, the, the differences that they had in terms of religious belief, because the Magi didn't, weren't inherently Jewish, they were inherently pagan, or they believed in other religious beliefs, even though they may have learned a lot about Jewish faith and all world faith, 
they, they weren't inherently Jewish. So even in spite of all their differences, the Magi, of all people, were the first, some of the very first, to start seeking Jesus. You know, it doesn't take much to start seeking. In, in a lot of ways, what it takes is simple curiosity. Right. And there's something good in us that, 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 uh, that tends us towards the, the, the curious. We, like, we are curious people. As human beings, that's, that's just part of our nature. We like to learn things. We like to understand things. We like to find things out. And you know, that is a gift from God. That is a blessing that has been given to us because that's all it takes to start something great is the, a simple curiosity. I think about my life growing up and, and I'm, I'm a curious person. I'm sure you are too. And I like to learn all kinds of things. My, I tend to like history and things like that or cooking. I don't know what it is. History and cooking. I like those two things. But, but I like other things too. And I'm sure you like a lot of things as well. And, and, and I want you to understand that that little kernel there, that little, that little piece of your character that's curious is a God-given gift. And if used right, it can actually start you on an incredible journey that will lead to something incredible like the Magi. Let's read on. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When, the king, when king Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now the account of the Magi and the star is unique to the Gospel of Matthew. He's the only writer to talk about the Magi and the Christmas star. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. What it means is that the star is a mystery. We know some things, much like the Magi, they're kind of a mystery. We know quite a bit, you know, or what we, we know what we know about the Magi, but we know even less about the star. But just because we know less about the star doesn't mean that it wasn't any more real than the Magi. The star was a real event. The question is, well, what was the event? What kind of event was it? And this has opened up a whole world of people who have, who have gotten curious about the star and tried to understand what is the star. Now, there are those who have gone the scientific route and they've, they've studied the star out and they've, they've examined it and they've come to the conviction, and it's quite reasonable, I might add, and, and, and logical and even scientific, that the star was an actual, real astronomical event. It actually did occur in the heavens. Some say it was a supernova, which, which is a, a star that explodes and produces a brilliant light for a few months and then fades away. Other people suggest that the star was actually the conjunction of the planet Jupiter, which is known as the king planet, and the, and the star Regulus, which is known as the king star, moving in the night sky until they, they basically look like one image, and they became the brightest light in the sky. What's interesting about that theory is if you lived in the east, east of Israel at that time, that star would appear over the land of Israel. It would be in the direction of the people of Israel. And, and what's really cool is, is you know, you know, whether you know astronomy or not, I know a little bit, is that you know, stars move throughout the night, they move across the sky, and they move in predictable patterns, and, and so do the planets. In fact, the word planet means wandering star, because planets move differently than the stars. And in fact, sometimes planets look like they go backwards. They'll go and then they'll stop and then they'll go back. It's called retrograde motion. And it's just a, it's just a, a, a scientific fact. It's a reality. And so many people believe that this occurrence 
that the Magi saw was retrograde activity of the planet Jupiter passing back and forth, back and forth, almost circling the star Regulus and creating this very bright and, and unique uh, image in the night sky at the time. Now, like a lot of astronomy, these things happen irregularly. In fact, this conjunction happens, I don't know, I think it's uh, once every decade or so, or decade and a half, Jupiter and Regulus come in conjunction with one another. So it wasn't a one-time event. So you may ask, well, then why would they think this was special? I mean, if they had seen this before, why would they think it was special? Well, remember, the Magi, way back in their history, had been influenced by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they had learned a few things about the Jewish people and their culture and their religion. And they probably learned some of the pro prophecies about a coming king. And those prophecies also included a general time frame of when that would happen. About 600 years in the future, from the, from the time of when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived. And so, this conjunction of Jupiter and Regulus, the one they were looking for was the one in the, that matched the time frame of the other prophecies, and that's why it was unique to them. Because it coincided with other prophecies about the birth of a special king in the land of Israel. And so that may have been the very thing that started the Magi on their journey. And, and during their long journey, they would have seen the retrograde motion of the planet going back and forth. And, and it was as if it was beaconing them towards Israel, towards, uh, uh, the land of, of the, towards the Jewish people. Other people think that the star was something more, uh, uh, it was something more personal. In other words, it was a, a manifestation of God. It was a miracle. It was like, a, uh, I don't want to say Tinkerbell, but like a localized light that they followed. That's quite possible too. My point is, just because it's mysterious doesn't mean that it isn't possible or even probable. It's highly likely that the Magi saw something, in fact, I, I, I believe it with all my heart, that they saw something that prompted them to leave the East and head towards Jerusalem. One of our family traditions in our family is to watch this DVD called The Star of Bethlehem. If you don't have never seen it, get it. It's just a family tradition. We like to watch it around Christmas time. And it's, it's just one of these guys putting out his theory on what the star was. And it's really cool and it's really faith building. Either way, whether it was a local manifestation of a, a miracle of God or whether it was something that God predetermined in the night sky through the, through the movement of planets and stars, uh, the point of the matter is the Magi got the message. They saw it as a sign that indicated the king of the Jews had been born. Now, whether they believed he was the king of the Jews or not is irrelevant. They just believed that what they saw, at the very least, what they saw was something special, and it prompted them to go looking. This term, king of the Jews, is an interesting term. It's what we call a messianic term. In the, to the people of Israel, the king of the Jews, capital K, king, and capital J, Jews, was a, was a, was a reference to the coming Savior. The Jewish people had a long-standing belief, and there were many prophecies throughout their history that said that one day a Savior would be born, a Savior of the Jewish people who would rescue them from all their afflictions, but not just the Jewish people, all people. And so this idea of the king of the Jews was, was a powerful and very meaningful title. And this is what the, 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 the Magi understood. Someone very important, someone very special was being born if all these signs added up 
with the prophecies that they had already heard about. And that prompted them to start looking. Now, I don't know if you're here new or if you've been here a long time, but a lot of people have a hard time. They're not sure who Jesus really is. Is He really the King of the Jews or not? And, and I, I want to tell you, I don't think in the next 20 minutes I'm going to convince you one way or another. But, but what I want to ask you to do is to be like the wise men and at least start looking. There's no harm in beginning the search. God has given you a natural curiosity. And that natural curiosity, if it's good for anything, is good for leading you to the most important person ever to have been born. And so you may not be there right now, and that's okay, but you can get there if you just start looking. Let's read on. Let me get out of the way here. When he called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Now initially, the Magi came to the city of Jerusalem. They understood king of the Jews. They went to the land of Judah, which is the, the land of Israel today. But obviously, they didn't know the exact location. So the natural thing to do would have been to go to the capital city and meet with the guy in charge, King Herod. He was the king at the time. And so they went there, assuming that everyone there would be looking for the newborn king also. But it's curious that Herod didn't even realize something special had happened, nor did his advisors, apparently. Isn't that funny how the people closest to the, to the situation sometimes are the most blind? Yeah. It's really hard sometimes to get objectivity when you're so close to a situation. Or in this case, you're so focused on what you want and what you're trying to do. King Herod was all busy about building his kingdom and, and ensuring his throne and his power, and so were the people around him. So much so that they didn't even see this amazing sign that was occurring all around them. And even though, even if they didn't see the sign, they knew that the prophecies were suggesting something special would happen about this time. But of all people, the ones that should have been looking, should have already been there by the, birth, you know, by the side of, of Jesus at his birth, they were the most blind to what was going on. So the Magi came to King Herod, got him busy and in a tizzy. He had to ask around. Finally, they figured out, oh, the prophecies say they would be born, the, the child would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem at this time was an insignificant little town, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. The only, its only claim to fame was that King David, the greatest king of Israel, was born there. But other than that, it was kind of meaningless. So the Magi make their way on over to Bethlehem. What's neat about the city of Bethlehem is its name. Who here knows what the, name, what, what the word Bethlehem means? It means house of bread, correct. It's the house of bread. You know, Jesus, who was born there, would later in his life call himself the bread of life. Yeah. You know, the coincidence is unmistakable. Yeah. Without Jesus, people are just hungry. Right. And that is a fact of life. We can look at the world around us and come to the same conclusion. That without the Lord, without Jesus Christ being the, the, the center of, of our lives, without the fulfillment and the satisfaction that He offers, people are just hungry. And so they search and they fill themselves up with just about anything under the sun because they're just trying to be 
fed when all they have to do is go to the house of bread and find the bread of life. Right. Last night, uh, my family, we have a tradition. We, have, uh, we make sausage, Italian sausage. I'm, I'm, so- I'm, I'm, I'm sausage. I'm Italian. <laughs> and my wife has uh, got some German in her, but since she's been married to me, she's become Italian. And she's an awesome cook, by the way. And, and so we made sausage several hours, had some friends over, and we made sausage, and it comes out good. It's, it's awesome. We make a whole bunch for the year, and it's just a lot of fun. And, and, and a part of that, that time, at the end, we have a very special meal. It's, it's something we call pasta with cacio cavallo cheese. And, and it's just a, it's, a, it's a pasta dish where we cook a roast, and then at the end of the cooking, the, roast, the juice from the roast and all that, and the meat become the sauce. And then we add this cheese, which is a great Italian sharp, tangy cheese to the sauce. Stephanie was there, and she's drooling now thinking about it. But, um, and then we mix it all up, and that, that's the meal. And it's one of my favorite meals of the year. In fact, growing up, it was the, when we only did it once a year, and we'd all look forward to this, to this awesome meal. I mean, it was, it was great. And I got to tell you, even though my wife's German, she nailed it. I mean, she, the, 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 the pasta was perfect, and the sauce was perfect. I mean, she's, she's gotten so good at making our, our family uh, meals. But, but unless you've eaten pasta with cacio cavallo cheese, you have no idea what you're missing. And it's kind of like that with Jesus. Unless he becomes what sustains you, you have no idea what you're missing. You're just hungry. And, but, but all you have to do is, like the Magi, find the house of bread. And find the bread of life in the house of bread. And you will be satisfied. Let's read on. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, I'll give you a little backstory here. Herod did not want to know the time because he really wanted to worship. Herod was a villain. Herod wanted to know the time because he wanted to murder you see, when he heard king of the Jews, he, he knew he was the king of the Jews. And if there was another child born with the title king of the Jews, he was not going to let that kid take over his throne or his lineage from controlling the throne in Israel. And so he had nothing but bad intentions. And matter of fact, the Magi, after leaving him, came to that same realization and they did not come back and report to him. They left and went another way. And so what did Herod do? Well, he, he figured out that the child had been born sometime in the, you know, uh, in the past year or two, and so he ordered the murdering of every child two years and younger in the city of Bethlehem. It was a tragic moment in the history of Israel. Much pain, much weeping, much, much, much terror in the lives of many families because of a king who was more concerned about himself than he was about learning the truth, or finding out what, what, God want, what God would have in store for him. Herod was born in about 73 B.C. His dad was Jewish, his mother was an Arab, and he took advantage of all what was going on in Rome at the time, some political unrest, and he became king of the Jews. He was despotic, he was murderous, and in addition to killing these, these, you know, count, any number of children in the city of Bethlehem, he had his own father-in-law murdered, he had a few wives murdered, and even a couple of his own sons. That's how despotic this guy was. Now, 
This is going to be the hardest thing I'm going to say today, and I want you to listen up. Herod was a villain because Herod had no desire to find the truth. He had no desire to seek out Jesus, the King of the Jews, and humble out to Him. He had no desire to, to find the bread of life in the house of bread. He was a villain. And, and the hard teaching that comes from this realization is that you are either for or you are either against. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout the story of Scripture, the, 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 one, of the, one of the major themes is a constant separating of sheep and goats. A constant moving away of people with hard hearts and moving towards people with soft hearts. Moving towards God. There's no neutrality. Your heart either gets hard or it gets soft. You either move closer to Christ or you move farther from Christ. You can't just be neutral. Let's make a decision today to move closer. Let's be the kind of people who draw near, who soften our hearts, who want to know the truth, who go to the house of bread to receive the bread of life and not be the people who move away and get harder and harder. You know, I, I've experienced this in my life. Early on, when I first came to faith, and I, I was in my early 20s, and I, I realized this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a Christian. I wanted to be right with God. I wanted to move closer. I wanted to know the Bible. I wanted to know what God had to say. I wanted to live the Christian life. I was in a group of really good friends. And the amazing thing that happened is I lost almost every one of those friends because they didn't, they didn't want to go in the direction I was going. Now, some of them I keep in touch with, and we're still friends, and, and the ones that I do have become, have actually over time moved closer to Christ. We've moved in a similar direction. Maybe, uh, maybe I was a little sooner than them, but, but the point is, is we moved in the same direction, and, and we've remained connected. But those that had no intention, they've moved a completely different direction. And, and, and you know, one of the miracles of the modern age is Facebook. And, uh, you know, Facebook, you can go on and sometimes, as, as people do when you go on Facebook, you can kind of look up old friends, right? That's kind of probably the thing everybody does, is you look up old friends and after about an hour you go, this is weird, you turn it off and you get rid of Facebook, right? <laughs> but at least for that hour you get a little glimpse of what's going on with your friends. And I have, and I've looked at some of my old friends and I've realized, man, they, not only did they move away, they, they, they got hard, they went in a bad direction. And, and I look at their life and I just see nothing but emptiness and hunger. And all the negatives that come from that. But I look at my life and I look at the friends that, that I, I became to know and the friends that eventually moved in a, in a better direction towards God and rather away from Him. And, and you know, you go on their Facebook and yeah, there's scars and yeah, there's mistakes, but, but there's a better overall life there. You're either moving away or you're moving closer. There's no neutrality. Let today be the day that you come closer to Jesus. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, the Magi brought gifts. Now, some people look at the gifts and they, and they see meaning in the gifts. And it's quite possible that there is some meaning there. They look at the gold and they go, oh, that's a gift fit for a king. This is certainly the king of the Jews. They were honoring him as the, as the king of the Jews. They brought 
frankincense, which was a, 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 a resin that was used and made into like an incense that was used in prayers and things like that, you know, when a person offered prayers to God. And, and it kind of reflected the, the priestly nature of Jesus, that he would, he would be someone who would bring people to God. And then, and then myrrh, which, was a, which is an expensive spice, but it was used to bury people. And some people see in that a little foreshadowing of, of Jesus that he would not, not only be a king, not only a priest, but he would also die at some point in a, in a very unique uh, way. I don't know if the Magi had all that in their head when they brought these gifts. Maybe they were just appropriate gifts at the time. There was no Snoopy doghouse. At, you know, <laughs> they didn't have that. So, so they brought what they had. But what I know is that they came to worship. Right. To express their reverence and their adoration for a child they believed to be the fulfillment of a prophecy. And I know that that's why Matthew, of all the Gospel writers, included the story. Because he believed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy. And I know that's why I'm standing here today. Because I believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that story. And and it's why I keep coming back every day. Because not only do I believe it, but I want you to believe it. And I want as many other people around me to believe it as well. I want them to know that the King of the Jews, the Messiah, has been born. And that He is offering life, not hunger, to every one of us. You may not be a Magi, you may be a meathead. (laughs) You may not see a star, but maybe God has given you some sort of sign. You may not have come from the exotic east. You just live here in boring old Simi Valley. But you can be curious. You can start searching. You can find food. You can move closer and you can worship Jesus Christ by bringing your gifts. What are the gifts you bring? Well, the best way to to put it, because we could go, there's a million different ways for every one of us to gifts, but but if I could offer an overview, you bring your time, you bring your treasure, and you bring your talent. That's what we offer. That's who we are. And, and we bring to the table, when we come to worship Jesus, whatever gifts God has bestowed upon us, we give. Whatever, whatever we have innately, we come and we give. And it's our act of worship. And this is the gift of the Magi. To, to give to Christ what you have. Out of adoration, and respect, and sheer awe of who He is, and what he's done for you. You know, I, uh, I ter- shared, we all, many of us shared about our favorite uh, Christmas presents, and some of you got really cool presents. Uh, I know it wasn't an engagement ring, Rita, but, but it was a, 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 ro- a crystal rose. Swarovski 
Crystal Rose, which is quite impressive. That's worth way more than my Atari 2600 ever was. And, you know, but I, I got to play with my Atari 2600, and after a while, like all video games, it got boring. But, you know, worshiping Jesus never gets old. Yeah. It never gets boring. And there's something about uh, getting gifts that's special, but as you get older, you realize that it's much better to give gifts. There's something so much more fun and so much more fulfilling in the giving of gifts. And I think that's what the Magi say to us at the end. They tell us, bring your gifts because there's so much more fulfillment in giving your worship to Christ than trying to get gifts from Christ. As we take communion, and we're going to call the ushers to get ready with the, with the communion, I want you to realize that what we do at this point when we take this piece of bread and we take this cup is, is we worship Christ. It's a time of worship. It's a time to remember His death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also a time to remember His birth and the start of it all. So let's think of these things as we take the bread and the cup. I'm going to pray, and then we'll pass the communion. We'll have a time of meditation, of gratitude for Christ and for all that He's done for us. Let's pray.